Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome into the Friday, March the 8th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, big news coming out Thursday about Miami's intentions with player cuts. We got some Brian Flores buzzwords for you all. The rest of the Twitter mailbag. And is the mega deal for non-quarterbacks in the NFL a thing of the past? All of that, plus it's Friday, which means we're mocking once more. But first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, Google Play, Tuned In, wherever you get your podcast from. Please subscribe, download, rate, and review. And tell one of your friends, because we need this cult to get larger, to keep this thing going for years and years to come on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. Follow me on Twitter at WingfulNFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Find all of my written analysis up on LockedOnDolphins.com, the go-to blog in the Locked On Network. And last but not least, the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts like the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast and the Draft Dudes Podcast to get you guys ready for April's draft coming up here in just over a month. We have a busy show as we always do. Let's go ahead and kick things off. That's another Miami Dolphins. A couple of players to talk about in terms of getting cut as the news came down Thursday evening slash late afternoon that the Dolphins would in fact move on from Andre Branch as well as Ted Larson. Both of those players receiving their respective walking papers. Both of these moves were known to be coming and really as far as what I can say about Andre Branch and his time here, there's not a lot to mention as far as what Ted Larson offers if it wasn't for the one play in the Miami Miracle and the Ted chance in the locker room afterwards he would be on that same track but at least we'll always have the Miracle with Ted Larson it sounds like according to Barry Jackson the Dolphins will look to release Ryan Tannehill want to trade but probably end up releasing Robert Quinn Josh Sitton and Devontae Parker both get cut And then he had also Kenny Steels and Rashad Jones on this list. And I could see a scenario where the Dolphins do cut Kenny Stills and move on that way and build this thing around Albert Wilson and Jakeem Grant. And I guess that would mean they're bringing back Danny Amendola, which I would not agree with, but that's neither here nor there. I think the same thing would happen to Kiko Alonso, which you guys know how I feel about that. And then very recently, I just floated the idea on a tweet talking about the potential of trading Rashad Jones and to sweeten the deal to make somebody take it because, frankly, no one wants Rashad Jones on this contract. The Dolphins shouldn't even want Rashad Jones on that contract. Paying him $13 million a year has to be one of the most lopsided contracts in terms of value for the player in the entire National Football League in 2019. You've got two bum shoulders that have had injuries for the last three or four years now. You got a guy that quit on his team midseason. You got a guy that's not really a fit in this defensive scheme. You have to be able to cover and match up, not his strong suits. And he takes poor angles to the sidelines as well against the run. So these are things that really don't bode well for his future under the Dolphins' new defensive regime in Brian Flores and company. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. 
And the last note that came down, which I kind of prepared you guys for throughout the course of the last couple of weeks, is that it sounds like Cameron Wake will test free agency and sign elsewhere and finish his Dolphins career with 98 sacks. A Ring of Honor member, I think he's a Hall of Famer in my opinion. I doubt he gets in, but he really should be based upon what he did in his professional career. Maybe they'll lump in the Canada stuff too because I think that actually does count. It is the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I'm not 100% sure on that fact, but Cam Wake, Dolphins career, one of the best ones of all time. Sounds like that one will come to an end. And since there really is no good transition out of that story, a really bummer of a story, we're just going to move on to the next thing. And I wanted to touch on a couple of points going back to what Brian Flores has told us in his press conferences, in his interviews, in his media availability. I talked about him on the Adam Schefter podcast on yesterday's podcast here on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and you really can circle some buzzwords. And the reason I wanted to bring this back up was because somebody asked me on Twitter, and it's a great question, if Brian Flores or Chris Greer has final say over the roster, and you can look at that in a number of ways, because are we talking about this portion of the offseason, which I think everybody has to be clued in on, or are we talking about when it comes down to cutting the 37 players that have to get axed from the 90 down to 53 on the opening day roster, And I answered that by saying, I think it's going to be a complete collaboration because that's buzzword number one, that Brian Flores is insistent that the entire offensive staff and defensive staff are all coinciding together. Chad O'Shea talked about how the offensive playbook is getting put together by everybody involved on the coaching staff. And then of course, Brian Flores and Chris Greer both mentioned themselves, the collaboration of the entire group. So I think that when it comes to final roster say, You basically have a round table and sure, some words do carry more weight, but it's going to be a collaborative effort and a team effort and there's not going to be the strange hierarchy of people trying to jockey for position or power or maybe try to lend the owner's ear a little bit better than other folks do. Whatever the case may be, everybody involved will have a say and they will all be considered when it comes to final roster say and putting this thing together. Another buzzword from Brian Flores, we not me. Team first mentality. You're going to hear that so much over the next year, next couple of years, hopefully, maybe next decade, I hope. Hard work and determination and commitment, those things that really are the core principles of who Brian Flores is. You're going to hear a lot about that. And no egos. He doesn't want anybody that thinks they're bigger than the team. That goes back to the team first mentality. But there have been a lot of egos on this Dolphins team in recent years. I think we're going to get rid of all of those. Going to see nothing but high character guys that really prioritize football. That might be a bit of a downer for some of you guys because, frankly, a lot of the best players in the NFL, they come with egos. They come with baggage. They have a bit of that diva mentality in them. Not all of them, but a good chunk of them do. And the Dolphins likely, I think, will pass on that type of player for the most part going forward under this new regime. And now lastly here on this first segment, kind of shifting gears once more, was this idea that Ryan Tannehill is gone. I think we all know that at this point, but the Dolphins don't know who their opening day starter is going to be. And that's going to be the first time we've had that since 2012 when it was Matt Moore and Ryan Tannehill and the addition of David Garrard late to that trio, that triumvirate of mediocre quarterback battle for that particular season. Tannehill's rookie year was not very good at all. Matt Moore was just a kind of whole home player. And David Garrard, of course, was never really in the fold for long-term consideration for this team. But Starting in 2013, we always knew Ryan Tannehill was going to be the starter. Even in 2017, when he got injured, we knew that going into that season, he was going into camp 
as the unquestioned starter. And here we are now, and I can't tell you who it's going to be. We're going to have a column up on LockedOnDolphins.com where the entire staff predicts who they think is going to be the quarterback. And I can't think of who it's going to be. I really do not know because I do not expect a high-priced free agent, like even $10 bucks is high-priced in my opinion. And I don't expect a quarterback in the first round or the second round of the draft. So what does that leave us with? We'll talk about that more as next week rolls along on the off-season preview, free agent signings, all that fun stuff. But the last note here is that Brian Flores did talk about the traits in a quarterback that he looks for, and we talked about this on the podcast last week in Indianapolis during the scouting combine, but he did mention accuracy, which every coach will mention that, and he also mentioned the mobility, which I was pretty surprised and taken back by that because for the most part, the Patriots really didn't have mobile quarterbacks beyond Tom Brady, who we all know is one of the least mobile quarterbacks in terms of making plays outside of the pocket. But I think if Flores has that idea, we know Chris Greer has always been excited about the athlete and their RAS scorecard, the relative athletic scorecard from Indianapolis at the Combine. Maybe they do want to pursue a quarterback that has a little bit more juice, a little more get up and a little bit more mobility. So something to think about, something to chew on. We're going to take a quick break here, but next we've got more Twitter questions to get to that we did not cover on yesterday's podcast. We'll dive into that next in the second segment and the Friday mock draft as well here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. Change is definitely on the horizon. This time of year, every team in the league will take dramatic changes over the course of the next couple of weeks. As we know, free agency really kicks off on Monday with that legal tampering period. And then officially on Wednesday, when the signings can officially be announced, I think we're going to see a flurry of moves and not just free agent signings, but trades, draft pick trades, player player trades. It's going to be such a fun time and a fun week. And I'm so excited that my spring break for school lines up exactly with it because this job, I get to set my own hours and do whatever I want. But as far as class and school goes, I have to be on campus at certain times, but not next week, baby. We're talking about free agency all week long on the podcast, getting you guys ready for all the changes coming up ahead. And on Sunday's podcast, we're going to release the Monday podcast on Sunday evening, as we have been doing the last couple of weeks, as well as have the column on the Sunday feature up on LockedOnDolphins.com, taking a look at what we can expect to see happen over the course of the next few weeks into the draft and detailing a comprehensive preview of the offseason ahead for our Miami Dolphins. So keep an eye out for that Sunday. I have been pretty ambivalent on what's going to happen this offseason with this team because frankly, it's all brand new. A lot of these things are fluid. Who knows what could actually happen, but we'll put our best foot forward and trying to gather all the information we have from what the coaches have said, what their past says about them, and put together the best offseason plan for you guys and get you prepared to see what we can expect this upcoming offseason for the Miami Dolphins. But let's go ahead and jump into our next segment here and get to the rest of the Twitter mailbag. You guys put out the questions for me on the timeline on Twitter. I give you a response and a Twitter shout out here and answer the question on the podcast. And we have a very pressing question from our staff editor at the Locked On Dolphins webpage. He is at Miami D Punks. Jason Harina writes, if you could be an insect or a fish, which one would you be and why? I'm going to go with the insect because... Those guys get killed just instantly. You get slapped or whatever it might be, and you don't really know what's going on. I'm sure the same thing is the case for fish, but I can't imagine getting caught, like the pain of the hook going through your mouth and then having to flop around and just suffocate for however long that takes. And then if they throw you back, it's like, 
you're just late for something, right? Like Mitch Hedberg said, you're just making fish late for something. So give me the insect because the misery of being an insect is just slightly worse than the misery of being a fish. Next question here from Jason Palumbo. It's at JJBobo4. He asks, if Arizona selects Murray number one overall, they'd be admitting last year's move to get Rosen was flawed. Isn't it more likely they are trying to drive up his value for a trade? I think anyone that answers this question with real sincerity is just speculating at this point. I do believe that the the Cardinals hired Cliff Kingsbury knowing they wanted to draft Kyler Murray number one overall. We've heard reports that Murray knew all along he wanted to play football. The entire ploy with baseball towards the end of that season was to get himself more of an opportunity for more money, maybe to go up even higher in the draft. I think that that was the Cardinals' intentions when they met with Kingsbury. They agreed that, hey, if we hire you, this is the direction we want to go, if that's what you want to do. So I believe that they will take him and find a suitor for Josh Rosen. Next question here from John Langjun at Jay Langjun. Reading about the Jets wanting to sell the number three pick, trying to recoup picks spent on Sam Donald last year. If Murray is not drafted number one by Arizona, what price is realistic to get that third pick and do you buy? Number one, the Jets are not going to sell you that pick no matter what. They just won't give you your franchise quarterback. That's not how it works in division. Now, I think the spot that you would have to look for is the Raiders who have been adamant about acquiring more and more picks and kind of doing the Cleveland Browns thing. I think that's the spot you have to go. I would give up this year's one, obviously, next year's one, obviously, and there's going to have to be some sweetener in there. Maybe next year's two, I would hope would do it because I don't really want to part with both the first two picks this season, but it's going to take more than two first round picks and I would pay it. You guys know how I feel about Kyler Murray. So yes, I would buy it. Number four with the Raiders, number three with the Jets is never going to happen. Next question here from Stu Rim. He's at Stu underscore Rim. What odds, if any, would you need to put $10 on the Fins to win the Super Bowl next year? And what odds would you need to just make the playoffs? I think the longer the odds for the Super Bowl, the better, right? Because then you get paid more. I usually do bet on the Dolphins like 10, 20 bucks to win the Super Bowl. Obviously, it's been a waste of money for a long time now, but it's just fun to have that ticket. And then when they went to the playoffs in 08 and 2016, you had a chance to get to the dance, right? So that was fun. But I don't know. I think any odds would be worth doing it just to have the fun of it. As far as playoffs, look, there's a lot that has to happen in the next couple of weeks before we have any idea what most of these teams look like. So right now, it's not good, I would say, as far as what the odds are. I I can't really put an exact odd on it. I don't know what the bookmakers are saying, but I'd probably want something like 20 to 1 on the Dolphins right now because I don't think they're going to be a playoff team next year unless they can get a quarterback like Kyler Murray. Next question here comes from Mark St. Jean. He is at MarkSJ14 on Twitter. On the clock at pick 13, your preference of picking a corner to play opposite Xavier Howard or a talented defensive line prospect. I think I like the cornerback group better just because I think it's better as far as being top heavy up there. Now you can kind of argue that maybe Rocky Sim would be a good option in the second round. But this defensive line group is so talented that I think there's going to be somebody worthwhile at pick 48, like a Chase Winovich from Michigan, that I'd be very interested in there. So I'd rather go defensive back in that spot just because I think the value will be better in terms of the overall value of the draft at that spot compared to later on in the draft. Man, I know I told you guys I was going to get to all these questions, but it's just not going to happen. We are getting too short on time. Let's go ahead and answer another one here. Charlie Morton's war at Trifected. Which of these defensive linemen is a better fit for the Dolphins scheme? Ed Oliver, Christian Wilkins, Dexter Lawrence, or Cleveland Furl? You got three Clemson guys there and one Houston guy. I think Ed Oliver can play in any scheme, any system, because he is so physically dominant and so long and powerful and athletic. I just think he fits anywhere you want him to up on the defensive front. So he's a scheme fit for everybody. 
Christian Wilkins, I think, would be a fantastic two-gapping type of rush defensive tackle, a guy that you can play with speed and athleticism and get after the quarterback that way, which is going to be something I think Miami will want on this defensive line. Dexter Lawrence, on the other hand, I think is also a great scheme fit because he can kind of play that Danny Shelton role, but give you more reps and a lot more production than what Danny Shelton gave the Patriots. So really, I think all of them are, but I'm going to go with Ed Oliver because I think he's the best player and he's so scheme diverse. He can play three, he can play five, he can play seven. He can really do anything you want up on the defensive front line. Let's do one more question here and get to... This one submitted by Justin Miners. He is at JJ Miners on Twitter. I haven't studied much into Chad O'Shea's offense and what the Patriots run. Can you give us an idea on what to expect, such as O-line play and schemes, and how will it differ from Gaze's dink and dunk offense? Well, number one, it's not going to change from dink and dunk because nobody dinks and dunks better than the Patriots did. And if they are going to adapt that type of scheme and system, it's going to be the same thing in Miami. So do not expect to get away from the short passing game, which really is the entire NFL now with built-in deep shots off of those short passing game concepts. Number two, if you want to see really the most in-depth breakdown I've seen online, I mean, I wrote it, so you can say that's bragging or whatever, but I wrote the uh, Inside the Film Room Offensive Study. It's pinned to the top of my timeline at Winkle NFL, so check that out. There's some video breakdown showing you some of the Patriots concepts and things the Dolphins players they have can do within those concepts to really thrive. Now, as far as the running scheme, I imagine it'll be zone-based. A lot of teams do go, do go zone-based, but I think that the Patriots want to be... I, the Patriots, damn it. The Patriots staffers that come south to Miami. I've been talking about it for so much. I'm starting to think that we are the Patriots now. But they're going to bring this idea down that they're going to be adaptable week in and week out. So one week, it could be man scheme. The next week, it could be zone scheme. One series, it could change from what it was the previous series. So expect a lot of... E&P type of concepts in the passing game, short passing games that really puts importance on the quarterback, making pre-snap reads and post-snap adjustments as far as rotation. That's why I'm a big fan of Jake Fromm next year, but also in the running game, I would expect to see a lot of zone on this particular running game. So that's the Twitter mailbag, guys. I'm sorry if I did not get to your question. We'll do the same thing next week, and we're going to have plenty of mailbags throughout the course of the offseason. But first here, I want to get my mock draft up and going because it's mock draft Friday, baby, and we have to get these things in every single Friday leading up to the draft here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And in this scenario, I traded back with the Indianapolis Colts because I think the trade down has to be priority number one. Again, a caveat, if you do not get Kyler Murray or even Dwayne Haskins, who I'm really starting to warm up on at pick 13, if he's there, I think that's probably a given for a lot of folks. For me, I wasn't quite there, but I am now. I do like Dwayne Haskins' game quite a lot and think there's a lot of room for growth as him as a pocket passer and really fitting this particular scheme in Miami. But in this scenario, Murray goes number one, Haskins goes within the top five, and the Dolphins call the Indianapolis Colts who want to come up and get the top cornerback, whether it's Greedy Williams, whether it's Byron Murphy, whoever it might be, the Colts use some of the draft capital they have acquired from the Jets last year. They come up and give us pick 26 and 34 in the first and second round. So the Dolphins move halfway down the draft board, and with the 26th pick, they take safety Jonathan Abram out of Mississippi State. The guy flies around and hits everything and plays so in control. It's so much fun to watch him play. He will leave body bags all over the field in the way Andre Branch wishes he could have for the Miami Dolphins. Pick number two, also from the Colts, number 34, offensive guard out of Boston College, Chris Lindstrom. He comes in and starts at left guard day one. Boom, signed, sealed, delivered. Called that good. Pick number 48 in the second round. Our second, second round draft pick. Defensive end Chase Winovich out of Michigan. 
He tested through the roof, which I did not think was very expected as far as an athletic standpoint, but he can play that five base technique position on the defensive end spot. He can go out wide and play seven technique and rush the passer. I think he probably can't kick in any further than that, but I think he's a great base defensive end in this defense, a guy that can rush the passer and play the run game for you. So you have your safety guard and defensive end needs matched up there. Pick number 78 in the third round, cornerback out of Houston, Isaiah Johnson. He's long. He can run. He has ball skills. I like that spot there for him if he's available. In the fourth round, center out of Georgia, Lamont Gilliard. We heard from Barry Jackson also that the Dolphins want to keep Dan Kilgore and have him compete for the job. I think a mid-round draft pick for that spot sounds like a perfect compliment. So Lamont Gilliard out of Georgia, the center. In the fifth round, wide receiver David Sills out of West Virginia. He's probably going to be in that spot from now until April, so just get used to it. In the sixth round, love this guy too, out of Washington State University, go Cougs. The running back, James Williams. He's just a fantastic pass catcher, caught 89 balls. You guys probably know this by now because I talk about him a whole lot. And in the seventh round, why not take a gamble on a quarterback? He's not going to be a long-term starter for you, but I think he can develop into a backup quarterback. And the backup quarterback needs to be studious. He needs to help the starting quarterback prepare. And he needs to be a guy that the locker room loves and can rally around and spark a huddle when the starter gets hurt and ignite the offense to try to find a way to win a game in a pinch. And that, to me, is another Washington State Cougar quarterback Gardner Minshew in the seventh round. So Jonathan Abram, Chris Lindstrom, Chase Winovich, Isaiah Johnson, Lamont Gilliard, David Sills, James Williams, and Gardner Minshew. That is your Friday mock draft. We are going to take a quick break here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast and come back and talk about the big mega free agent contract. Is it dead in the NFL? We'll do that next. Locked On Dolphins at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. You guys know that I want to incorporate some more general NFL coverage into these weekly podcasts or the Friday podcast, I should say, at the end of the episode because we're in the offseason and I think it's important to keep tabs on the rest of the league, even if you're not that interested in other teams, just to kind of have an idea and a foundational base to judge the Dolphins' moves and everything that happens to this team based upon their comp- their competitors and their peers and all that fun stuff. So with free agency right around the corner, the question has to be asked, if you ask me, is the mega contract a thing of the past and sans quarterback for that matter? And we start in our own backyard and cover some revisionist history you probably don't need to hear about and don't want to harp on. But I think every Dolphins fan would agree that Mike Wallace did not work out, that Ndamukong Sue, though a good player, did not work out. Brandon Albert did not work out. And let me explain that one real quick. He missed 11 games in three years. He was a total liability in 2016. Really, the only part of the Albert deal that was a good move for the Dolphins was the first part of 2014 when the Dolphins were playing very good football and he was a big part of it, but it just did not work out. And to a lesser extent, as far as the contracts and money goes, the Donnell Ellerby and Philip Wheeler connection that was an utter bust in Miami. Not mega contracts, but the idea remains the same. It obviously hasn't worked out for the Dolphins, hence the massive rebuild we're about to endure and all these awful contracts being cleared off the books. But what about the contracts being handed out around the league? Kirk Cousins broke the guarantees barrier last year, if you will, by signing a three-year, fully guaranteed $88 million contract with the Vikings. And while quarterbacks are the exception, this contract, to me, signals a big change, a potential big change in the way contracts are done around the entire league. 
more guaranteed money, shorter term deals. That might be the new model in the NFL because after all, most of the big deals wind up lasting only about two or three years anyhow, like in Dominican Sue with the Dolphins. For the longest time, the smart teams were the ones that avoided these big deals, and it was the mediocre teams hoping to buy their way up into the upper echelon that would submit these deals to the league offices. But did it ever actually work? I mean, staying with the Miami theme, Olivier Vernon is about to get cut after inking a five-year, $85 million deal with the Giants that made him higher paid than J.J. Watt at the time. He lasted three years on that five-year deal. Then, of course, you have the notoriously horrendous deals, like the most infamous one, in my opinion. Albert Hainsworth, once upon a time, signed a seven-year, $100 million deal with the Washington Redskins. He lasted two years into that deal. Darrell Rivas goes down to the Buccaneers for six years at $100 bucks. there. He lasted one year into that deal and was not even close to a scheme fit for what the Buccaneers wanted to do and played some of the worst ball of his career. Or last year, even, getting more relevant, the Jets signed Tremaine Johnson to a five-year contract worth $72 bucks. If they could cut bait on that right now, they would, but because of the commitment, they cannot. But then there are the deals like Ndamukong Suze, for instance. Not that he was an unproductive player, it just wasn't worth the money spent. Like with Mario Williams and the Buffalo Bills and his $100 million deal back in 2002. He lasted four years of that deal, but was never worth that massive salary. Or Malik Jackson with the Jaguars in 2016. Good player, but hardly worth a quarterback's salary. You can point to the Patriots signing Stephon Gilmore to a five-year, $65 million deal, but that is the one unique exception among all these contracts. They identified a guy that could fit perfectly into their scheme, and it's always different for the Patriots since they are always in win-now mode and can afford to do that stuff because of their quarterback being an all-pro, all-time great, and taking less money. But the Dolphins, they are not that. Most teams are not that. So rather than spending $17 million per year for five years on a guy like Trey Flowers, you can buy three guys for that cost. Or maybe you offer Trey Flowers a two-year deal and you fully guarantee it. Two years, $30 bucks, fully guaranteed. Here you go, bud. You earned it. Why a team outside of the realm of serious competition would commit that much money over that much time should be beyond conceivable for everybody. Le'Veon Bell, he's about to get paid. Earl Thomas is going to get buku bucks. But do we really expect to look back on the Jets, for instance, signing Le'Veon Bell as a move that worked out for them? I mean, I doubt it. I'm sure we'll see it happen this year and probably next year. But I do think the age of the mega contract, sans the QB, is coming to an end very, very soon. Okay, guys, that is going to be my time on the podcast. Again, please check out Sunday's show and column up on LockedOnDolphins.com. It's one of my favorite ones I do every year, taking a look at the offseason, running it through the simulator, and predicting what this team will do. Not what I want them to do, but what I think they actually will do. So check that out on Sunday. But I'm going to sign off for now for the weekend. If you guys have that smart speaker in your house or a Bluetooth capability in your car, just say play Locked On Dolphins podcast and pull this thing up right away. Also, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the show at Locked Locked on Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a fantastic weekend. We'll talk to you again Sunday night for another edition, an off-season preview edition of the Locked on Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.